Tonight on Friday Night Prophecy, it's the news of the week and how it relates to Bible prophecy. It's Friday night, and at, here on Fig Tree Watchers, we're going to be joined by my guest host, Io from Mitsu Study. That's next, here on Fig Tree Watchers. Wow. Well, we got an interesting night for everyone. Uh, no, that wasn't my best opening, I don't think, but uh, you know what? It's okay. Because we have got a lot to discuss, and it's not about me or my openings. It's all about Jesus, and that's what the focus is on. Every night here on Fig Tree Watchers, we focus on Christ and how we're supposed to live as Christians, preparing our lives uh, to live a holy life before the Lord. So tell your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, hey, it's Friday Night Prophecy. Come live on Fig Tree Watchers and join us as we discuss the news events of the week and how they relate to Bible prophecy and how they cause us to grow in Christ Jesus. That's right, grow in Christ Jesus. All right, everyone. Well, it is going to be a fantastic week. And uh, man, I see so many people already on here. I'm going to bring my uh, co on and we'll get started. Hey, brother. Hey, everyone. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Excited for another uh, round of just, you know, discussing about prophecy, talking about current events and pointing back to Christ with it all. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is going to be a, a really good night. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to all the discussion that we're going to have tonight and yeah. we have things to cover. So it's going to be good. Yeah. Um, how was your week? It was good. It was good. Just busy at work, but, you know, um, I was preparing early for this and just seeing, you know, everything going on in the world with with Lapid and, um, you know, the Palestinian issue, the two-state solution, everything. There's just a lot going on this week, so and I was following it more closely. Um, I've just had more time on my hands this week, so it was interesting to, to do that. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, you know, I have to agree. Uh, uh, interesting week to, to follow, and uh, it was uh, kind of crazy. Um, everything that was going on. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna really try to get to, to everything this week, and and uh, hopefully we can get through it all. Uh, oh yeah. So good, good, good. Uh, let's pray and let's jump right in. Yeah, sure. Uh, Father, we thank you for getting us through another week, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the encouragement that we can find in your word concerning these uh, days we're living in, Lord, these last days we're living in, because we definitely need it as we just see the craziness of, of the world around us. We see lawlessness increase and just uh, just crazy, unspeakable things, Lord, sometimes just confuse us. It, it boggles our minds. But we know that we can always go back to your word and, and find solace in, in, the, in your promises concerning the future, concerning your children, Lord. Uh, so we just pray that you use Brother Stefano tonight, tonight, Lord, that you guide us with your Holy Spirit to just speak what you want us to speak, deliver the message that you have for the listeners and the viewers tonight, Lord. And may the gospel be shared. May Christ ultimately be magnified and pointed to um, as we as we talk about these current events, as we um, discuss your word and then Bible prophecy, Lord, may we ultimately point everything back to Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, before we get started, let, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. If Bible verses that you've come across, right? How many times do you think the Bible talks about 
um, people being lovers of self, um, violent in the last days. They, they, there's this major discussion in scripture that talks about how violence is going to be the norm because people are going to do what's right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be lovers of self. I mean, yeah. when you're just off the top of your head, what verses are you thinking of when you're thinking about stuff like that? Um, first, I'm thinking of, I know, like Second Peter 2. And I might be off on these, but like Second Peter 2 talks about those who walk in their lusts and denying the uh, promise of the Lord's coming. Uh, there's that. There's like around First Timothy, Second Timothy, around that period of time when uh, Paul writes to Timothy concerning again in the last days, men will wax worse and worse and things like this. Um, just talking about that in general. I know it just talks about you know his coming as his coming approaches will be like the days of Noah. And we know what happened during the days of Noah: the lawlessness, the violence. So those are the things that immediately come to mind concerning what the Bible says about the last days. Absolutely. And I think that this is why we we need to pay attention to scriptures that tells us how we're actually supposed to behave as Christians. I'm mm-hmm. just going to rattle off in a few, and then we're going to look at some of the news events that are actually affecting us. First um, Peter three nine, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. So in order to inherit a blessing. We're not to repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. This is so contrary to what the world believes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And think about that. Or this one, First Timothy 3.3. 3, uh, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So we're to avoid being drunk, not violent, but gentle, we're not to be quarrelsome, and we're not to be lovers of money. This is how we're supposed to behave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, these are some, some great verses that are talking to us and addressing things in which we will be uh, how we're to behave. Um, here's a, Proverbs 3.29. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Uh, Proverbs 3.31. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. None of their ways. None other ways. Yeah. So the Christian obviously is to do this. Why? And what's the big reason? Well, Psalms eleven five says it in a nutshell. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. So he examines the righteous. He looks at their heart. And this is so important. Every day as Christians, we need to go, God, is my heart right with you? Or is it violent? Is it violent? And he hates those who love violence. And, and I, I, I bring this up because so often we're looking at what's going on and we go, man, these people just need to get punished. Well, mm-hmm. then we're guilty of the very violence that they're committing, right? We need to return blessing with blessing. We need to pray for those who persecute us. We need to bless those who yeah. curse on us. And uh, I think this is a, a, a really big thing. So why are we bringing this up? Um, I'm going to hit a couple of new spots and then you're going to take over. Oh yeah. Um, We always talk about the Chicago murder rate and I don't know which story to bring up first, but I think I'll bring up this one. This is from the gateway pundit. Uh, The McDonald's CEO who is kind of woke recently calls out Lightfoot's Chicago. It's in crisis. This is his way of saying it's in crisis. 
McDonald's employees are refusing uh, and it's difficult to convince them to come back to work uh, because of fears of being murdered. Mm -hmm. Think about this. You're a McDonald's worker, right? You provide the Happy Meal, the Big Mac, you know, the Ronald McDonald French fries, right? But you don't want to go to work. Why? Because if you're in Chicago, you're going to get murdered. And you're like, wait a moment. Come on, Stefan. That's a little exaggeration. No. This week for Labor Day, just for the Labor Day stats, 55 people were shot or wounded. 11 people killed. That's just gun violence. That's not stabbing violence. That's just the gun violence that happened over Labor Day weekend in Chicago. And Chicago is breaking every record that they've ever set in previous years in murder rate. And it's just not them. It's also New York. Uh, New York violence is up at an all-time high. Um, in fact, one of the, the uh, news articles, also from the Gateway Pundit, another day in New York City, goons with axes smash up restaurants, bust Jeez. up tables, threaten diners. This is just another evening out in New York City. And it, it shows a video of a crazy man with an axe walking mm -hmm. through New York City and everyone's sitting there in horror, um, you know, wondering if they're going to be next, if they're going to be the, the violent. But notice the, the article is, hey, this is just the typical, you know, part of living in New York, living in New York. Um, so we're seeing the violence escalate there. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It's been a while since... Um we've discussed, you know, the gun violence in Chicago, because if you guys remember when we started off, like first two years or so, we'd always start off our IG lives with talking about earthquakes and how those are increasing intensity and frequency, the numbers going up. I still remember that uh, one time in May when um, Hamas shot those, you know, thousands of rockets to Israel, literally like that weekend, it was like 200. Like, I, I forgot it was like 4.0 and over, like 5.0 over, whatever, that week, we were like, whoa, that's it's crazy. It's the most we've ever seen. Um, but yeah, the same thing with the, with the gun funds. We usually track those. We usually begin, but it's been a while. Uh, I know 2021, late 2021, I think early 2022 this year, um, a big focus of ours was the lawlessness, right? That we're seeing not just in Chicago, not just in New York, but major cities across the U.S. and the world over too. So um, as we as we begin here talking about scripture, talking about how Jesus says, hey, is this, is this um, second coming approaches? the world will look more and more mirror more and more like the days of Noah. Uh, we talked about the lawlessness. We talked about the, the heart scoring cold and things like that. And that's been our focus. And we're obviously, you know, seeing that across the, across the U S and cities like Chicago and, and New York, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's been, um, it's a big, it's been a big issue along those lines of the violence is another gateway pundit story. Um, and that is that, uh, the Gateway Pundit reported, Dr. Harvey Risch, biggest lie in the last 29 months of COVID pandemic was hydrochloroquine. Hundreds of thousands died as a result of not being able to utilize a drug that would save their lives. Um, and this is a, a Dr. Harvey Risch talking about this. Um, why, why is it that lying has become the normal, the new normal? Um, spinning the truth. Uh, it, it, it was, it, it's just horrific that um, we're now finding out, wait a moment, 
this drug did work. It could have saved lives. 50,000 people could have survived, you know, uh, COVID had they just been given hydrochloroquine and the death toll would have been, uh, and that was just in, in the East Coast uh, where the stat was, was talked about, but the rest of the country and the rest of the world was deprived of it. Why? What was the purpose? Uh, this is kind of, a, it's a violent issue, but it's also about lying and lies lead to violence. Yeah, it's an, and it kind of reminds me too, when we, I think uh, 2021 and 2020, no, 2020, 2021, when COVID started and we saw, you know, obviously the, the mainstream media suppress a lot of these things, a big part of what we're seeing, like for some reason around that time frame, we saw a huge rise in just deception and truth being suppressed, right? And what we always went back to is Matthew 24, uh, when the disciples asked Jesus Christ about the signs of time, the first thing he says was, hey, don't be, don't be deceived, right? And it's just crazy how we can't believe anything anymore. Like the only thing we can cling to is scripture. We can't believe anything anymore from any side. You know, we always have to double check things. We can't take people at their word. We can't trust people anymore. And that's unfortunately the times we find ourselves in. But the but what's greatest what, for believers, at least, we still have a place to go back to. At the end of the day, even if I might be exasperated and be like, oh my gosh, can't, can't even trust, you know, quote unquote conservative news outlets for being truthful anymore. I can still go back to God's word and be like, okay, at least I have God's word that doesn't change. And, and we want to remind you of that that at least we have God's word. We can always go back to God's word, that he doesn't change. Uh, what he said, you know, 2,000 years ago is still the same. Um, that's the same truth that we can cling on to. So that's that's at least what I cling on to uh, during times like this. Deception, right? It's a huge thing in these last days. And it's only going to grow more and more. I mean, when we read what's going to go on in the tribulation, the deception is off the charts then, right? And it's even supernatural at that point. So what we're seeing is only, is only a precursor to what's going to be even crazier down the line. Yeah. And it, it I mean, here's an, and the deception is everywhere, everywhere. It, and it's, it's, it's crazy. So as we talked about last week, you know, the lights couldn't be kept on in California because, yeah. you know, of the heat. And so they told us, Hey, don't plug in your electric cars in California because you know, the grid can't handle it. Well, guess what they did this week. They banned by 2030, um, and this is from the Gateway Pundit, um, Gavin Newsom, the California Air Resource Board voted to end the sale of natural gas heaters by 2030. That's propane, nice. um, natural sure. gas um, heaters. Um, the goal is to replace all gas-powered furnaces and water heaters with electric appliances. California cannot even keep the light on as it is. Right. So anybody who's ever cooked on an electric stove knows what a nightmare it is. I mean, I, I hate electric stoves. Don't, I will never use an electric stove. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a bad idea. But now they're going to be banning these, these gas-powered stoves, right? Um, they're going to be banning uh, heaters. Remember when everyone had that freak ice age that happened to Texas and no one could get heaters and people were dying because they couldn't get heat into yeah. right? Same thing could happen to California, especially Northern California, where it snows quite heavily. This is a this is a major deception. This is a major lie, and this wasn't the only bad law passed this week in California. Gavin Newsom passed a horrific law that said, "Hey, if you're a Christian and you don't support uh, transgender behavior, we can take your your kids away based on what we think is harmful." 
So California legalized kidnapping. Yeah, and it's pretty crazy how, um, yeah, and you know, you were the one that told me about that. And just before then, I guess, we've just been seeing at least that mindset, right, from people where even if they couldn't actually get that into legislation, they still have this mindset of, you know, the, the children don't belong to their parents, but they belong to the collective of, you know, society, the collective of society, the city or whatever. So we've been seeing this mindset for a long time. It's just unfortunate because now we're getting to this point of like, you know, this transgender ideology, um, this gay ideology that, hey, if you as the parent don't fall in line with what your child, no matter how old they are, say, you know, they identify as whatever, the school or the state or the government has the right to take them away. We've seen that idea for years now that people have been peddling that, saying that that should be a thing. And it's, it's quite crazy to see this now starting to be implemented, it seems, at least from what I'm hearing. So and it's, it's unfortunate. And in my last thing that I'm going to bring up, and, and this is to kind of make the point. Yeah. Earthquakes are a judgment of God on wickedness. Okay. Throughout the Bible, earthquakes have always been that sign of judgment. With everything I just detailed, this week around the world, there were 120 earthquakes of 4.5 or greater. Mm -hmm. One week. One week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot. You remember when we first started doing this two and a half years ago? Oh, yeah. And it was like 30 earthquakes in a week. And we were like, wow, 30. And then we got to like 40. And we were like, wow. Then it got yeah. to 50, right? And then we got to 75 and 80, and we were like, whoa, 120, 120. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a verse, and I, I cannot think of it at the top of my head, that talks mm -hmm. about that, that in the last days it would be like labor pains, right? Yeah. It would come across suddenly and, and with the urgency of labor pains. And I really understood this when I became a dad, right, <laughs> with my wife. Yeah. That last two minutes, it, it, like it just goes uh, right. Later pains, yeah. Like, the contractions. You're, you're you're the contractions. You're like two centimeters dilated, and all of a sudden you're ten, and then boom, baby comes out like instantly, right? Mm. And these earthquakes, 120 in one week of 4.5 or greater around the world. Judgment is coming, my friend, and it is because of evil that is prevailing because men are doing what's right in their own eyes and not what's right in God's eyes. Yeah. And, uh, I think the, the, the passage you're thinking about is Matthew 24, when he talks about, you know, again, the, the disciples come to him and he describes them about the last days and he says, you know, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in various places. These are the beginning of birth pangs. Um, that's that idea there. And it's just interesting for these past few, many years now, Chris has been saying that, hey, you know, these, these disasters will increase the intensity of frequency. Um, geologists and people in the scientific community, you know, denied that for years and years. saying, oh, no, you know, everything's normal. And now they're like, oh, yep, it's, it's true. I think last year was, was the year when I think the UN came out with the climate change report saying that, oh, yeah, you know, this, these things are increasing in frequency and intensity, but it's man-made climate change, though. So, so again, they, they put that into man-made climate change. Um, which which we don't agree with in terms of the narrative. They definitely want to use that for other things. You know, we have this climate narrative and this climate disaster they want to they want to push forward now. But yeah, we shouldn't be surprised 
as we see a lot of these things increasing. Um, I've been seeing throughout the week and the past several weeks and months just um, news about earthquakes and um, hurricanes and the heat waves and things like that. Um, it's all been in the news recently. So, yeah. yeah absolutely. And, and we're getting ready for another heat wave here in California. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. What do you, I, I'm, I've gabbed enough. Nobody wants to hear from me anyways. They always want to hear from you. So what have you got for us? Oh, no, I want to hear from the both of us. So we all, we both of us have something interesting to say. Uh, first things first, I just want to touch on a, a question by Rav Shear, because I know we, we have questions and things like that. Um, um, I, we ask people, you know, if you have questions, submit them so you can touch on it. Or if you have a topic you want we want us to touch on, uh, Rav Shear, your thing was Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets. Um, and we're not going to focus on that because we've already done a deep dive on that for two shows, actually. Um, so if you want to listen to that, we first touched on that on our August 19th podcast. So you can go to that. Um, we talked about the different feasts, Rosh Hashanah included. We did deep dive on it. So go to the August 19th podcast. You can listen to it. And we touched on it again, actually, last week. So the September 16th podcast. Uh, so I'd recommend you go to those two to get our question answered about Rosh Hashanah or, again, the Feast of Trumpets, the biblical snippets of that, how people look at it in terms of the time of the rapture, our, our uh, view of it. Uh, in terms of the rapture and things like that, you can get that on that podcast. But yeah, just continue. I have an article here focusing on, you know, cryptocurrency, digital currency, and things like that um, that we often touch on here. So this is by The Motley Fool. Move over cryptocurrencies. A digital euro could be coming with help from Amazon. I don't think we should be surprised, um, especially since we know, like, Amazon has their Amazon, like, Palm Scanner, their Amazon One. Um, and things like that. So Amazon was one of five entities selected by the European Central Bank to help it develop a potential digital euro. On Friday, the European Central Bank, that's the ECB, announced that it had selected e-commerce giant Amazon.com and four other entities to develop user interface prototypes for a possible digital version of the euro. So after the, so this actually started last year. Um, so after a two-year investigation phase, the project ends in October 20, 2023. The ECB will decide whether to start developing a digital version of the euro. The implementation phase, if applicable, is expected to last about three years. So digital euro could arrive in the fall of 2026 or thereabouts, they say. Uh, so the purpose of bringing this article about or, or talking, up, uh, talking about it, rather, is to show you guys that, hey, you know, as much as we talk about digital currency and things like that, it's not just pie in the sky type thing. It's not just something we're just like imagining or hyping up, but it's actually being worked on, right? And, you know, you now you've got the European Central Bank, you know, tapping Amazon here, like, hey, you know, help us out with this prototype thing that they're saying that, hey, based on how it goes, they could use this prototyping, this uh, exchange with Amazon, this initiative of Amazon to help them actually build up and launch their digital euro so these things are in the works guys these aren't just you know random things we're talking about here um another article recently actually from earlier this month from the coindesk concerning what's going on here with a possible digital dollar which it feels like every other week now we get new news about the digital dollar it used to be earlier in the year it used to be like okay hey with the biden um thing it was like okay um, we can look into this now. It's like not just let's look into this, but we gotta do this like now. So the the narrative in the U.S. here amongst uh, officials and the government and everything like that, it's been rapidly changing from what I've been seeing. From 
we just have to research. Let's take it easy. We don't have to speed up to, we got to do this now. What's holding up the train? Um, so Coindesk, U.S. Treasury to recommend issuing digital dollar if in national interest. This is from September 5th. Um, the U.S. Treasury Department will advise the federal government to press forward on work to issue digital dollar, though it should only take the final step if there's a sign-off that the government-created tokens are in, quote, national interest, according to a person familiar with the report, emerging soon. So that was all over the news. A lot of people reported on it. A lot of people talked about it. Um, but, I mean, the significance of that, guys, from what we talked about is Relation 13, 15, 16, um, the Mark the Beast technology that, you know, if we one day go into a society where it's all cashless, um, totally digital, then everything can be tracked and, tra tracked and traced, right? That's something we always talk about here. Um, so that's the significance of these initiatives when we see these governments, these initiatives trying to create these digital currencies, um, saying that it's the next best way forward. Um, well, when you have that, you also have potentials for, you know, privacy um, being lost, right? And and rights, fundamental rights being lost. If everything can be tracked and, tracked and traced um, or things shut down. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to bring up that piece of news for that reason. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's kind of scary because these tech companies are getting more and more power with their oh, digital yeah. currency. They're forcing the world to go to a digital currency. But look at how, if you don't think that this is a bad idea, look how the tech companies have orchestrated censorship throughout the world. You know, PayPal is, is even censoring in England now, you know, whole groups of people that are in opposition to them. The free speech, anyone who's for free speech, PayPal is now censoring in England. So, um, and, and blacklisting them. So you have got the tech companies which control the digital currency system and you don't think you're going to be censored? Oh, you don't yeah. think your, your, your bank accounts are going to be wiped because they don't like you politically? They're already doing it. Wells Fargo recently did something very similar to uh, the, the head of the Republican Party in, in one uh, state. They completely took away her bank accounts, froze them. She didn't do anything illegal. Government didn't put any sanctions on her. What was her crime? She was within a couple of miles of Washington, D.C. on January 6th. That was her crime. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's crazy because, and I'm glad you brought this up because, you know, oftentimes when we talk about at least this aspect of all prophecy concerning digital currency and like, oh, you know, potential being shut out of the system and this and this. Yeah, the Bible talks about that in the future. But that's going on right now. Maybe not on a global level, we might be imagining possibly in the future in the tribulation. But I mean, if we just think back, I think earlier this year was with the protests in Canada, with the truckers and everything, how, you know, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada shut down different bank accounts, right? Froze different assets of crypto even. And crypto is like a bastion of freedom in terms of financially it's supposed to be, in terms of something the government's not supposed to get to. It's decentralized. But he was able to freeze that. So we have the technology right now to shut people down, to wipe bank accounts, to freeze assets. If you don't comply with the government, if you do something that they deem is incorrect. So if we have that technology now and people are trying to push us towards this coming system where they get rid of cash and they've been saying it, right? We've, we've highlighted it. It's not a conspiracy theory. They want us down the system. How much more control could they have over a population, right? And when we, when we visualize that, we see how 
what the Bible is talking about, Revelation 13, uh, 15 and 16, um, isn't something crazy. It's not something far out. It's something that God is foreseeing. He's talked about in scripture. And now we can start seeing this stage being set more and more for that possible future reality. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. So moving on, um, Middle East. Uh, earlier, I noted um, what's going on in Israel, or specifically, at least the UN speech um, of Israel PM Lapid, who called for two state solutions. So that was big uh, uh, in terms of the uh, Israeli community back home, because a lot of Israelis didn't agree with it. Um, right wing um, people like Benjamin Netanyahu spoke against it. Um, Christians, Christian uh Believers like me and you, um, Christian uh, teachers, uh, also talked about it. So CBN News here has said in an article, in controversial UN speech, Israel PM Lapid calls for a two-state solution. Uh, for the first time in more than a decade, an Israeli prime minister has recommitted to a two-state solution within the Palestinians, with the Palestinians. But his comments didn't sit well with many Israelis. Uh, Lapid told the UN General Assembly that Israelis like economic and military strength enables it to strive for peace with the Arab world, including the Palestinians. Quote, an agreement with the Palestinians based on two states for two peoples is the right thing for Israel's security, for Israel's economy, and for the future of our children, he said. Lapid sees peace not as a compromise or weakness, but as a courageous decision. Israel, he says, has one condition, quote, that a future Palestinian state will be a peaceful one, it will not become another terror base from which to threaten the well-being and very sense of Israel. And I think he's totally wrong about that, considering what happened in Gaza. Um, his speech drew fire, especially from Benjamin Netanyahu. So Netanyahu tweeted this. He said, quote, after the right-wing government led by me removed the Palestinian state from the world agenda, after he brought four historic peace agreements with Arab countries that bypassed the Palestinian veto, a veto, Lapid is bringing Palestinians back to the forefront of the world stage and putting Israel right into the Palestinian hole. Um, so they just talked more about that. And some people call this just a political ploy because he essentially doesn't have any part to do that. So former Israeli ambassador to UN, Danny Dannon, calls the topic a political ploy. He said, quote, we have elections coming up in only a few weeks from today, and I haven't seen even one party, including Lapid's party, Yesh Atid, Mentioning the idea of two states, Dannon said, so it's not on the table. No one's discussing it. We know there is no real partner on the Palestinian side today. Um, so that's very interesting. Quickly, I just mentioned some other uh, facts here. Give it to Brother Saban. Israel's 35 News wrote an article about this as well. They actually conducted a survey um, stating that according to a July survey conducted by Israel Democracy Institute, only a minority of Israeli Jews, 32%, said they would support a peace agreement between Israel and the PA. So obviously, this is not something that majority of Israelis wants. And it's interesting because they actually uh, mention uh, in this article that the number of Palestinians themselves who want a two-state solution has dropped since, like, I believe, 2019 or 2018. Uh, so that's very interesting. Um, so, yeah, so... It's just something that's been really big, something that people have been touch talking about. Um, is what, you know, Lapid said here, is it going to divide Israel? Are we going to see Israel divide tomorrow? No. I think some people are looking at it like, oh, my gosh, Israel's divided, like, literally right now. That's not true. If you, if you, you know, read more into this, they're saying it's a political ploy. The voting season is in, you know, in Israel. He's just trying to do this to garner votes from the Arabs and people, you know, like-minded Israelis. 
Um, he doesn't really have any power. But another reason people are talking about this is just because of the prophetic significance of the division of God's land in general. Um, and, you know, that division is talked about, obviously, with the two-state solution. Uh, so where we see this highlighted the most, I think, is Joel 3, verses 1 to 3. Um, where it says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I'll enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people, my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. They've also cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. And it just continues there. But essentially, Joel 3 is just showing us Jesus Christ returns back to the end of the tribulation, and he brings the nations down to the Valley of Josephath and judges them for several reasons. One of those reasons being how they treated Israel, his, his brethren, and how they divided up the land. So that shows us as believers that, hey, I, I think God doesn't like the dividing of his land, right? Um, so what we're not saying, though, is that the two-state solution specifically is what, that do is what does that. We don't know that for sure. Um, there's been many agreements and ideas and things to divide up God's land over the years and, and you know, whether it's the two-state solution or not, we don't know. Um, but for sure, we we know from Scripture that eventually all nations will be against Israel. Um, God's land will be divided. So this general thought process we're seeing where every nation on the earth is like, yeah, two-state solution. Let's go for it. Let's do it. It's perfectly significant for that reason, right? Whether it's a two-state solution or not, whether it's some other name or whatever, I, I believe it's going to happen eventually. And God is going to judge the nations for that in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's so much going on with the world, the United Nations at the center of it, globalism, um, all these things that we're talking about, digital currency. Isn't it interesting that right now, Germany is being plunged into a dire economic uh, crisis, and it's all because of the green policies that are affecting mm -hmm. um, and Angela Merkel's globalist policies. So right now the German people are suffering more than anybody is um, as they get ready for an election. And I just want to bring this up because I've been saying for years, watch out for Germany. Look, yeah. Germany is responsible for World War I. They were responsible for World War II. Pay attention because what is coming next there's going to be some guy that is going to make a boatload of promises and, and promise to get Germany out of this mess. And it is going to backfire on the rest of the world. Um, and uh, he's going to be looking like some superhero. Uh, watch out for Germany. That's all I got to say. Keep your eye out on Germany. Yeah, because you believe they'll be part of um, is it the Gog Magog coalition or um, yeah. Yeah, is that what it is, Gomer? You know, it, it's. I, I think that they're going to be part of the the eventual Antichrist solution. I think they're going to be okay. one of the characters in. Um, there's a lot of people who believe that they're Gog in in Ezekiel 38. Oh, um, interesting. I, I'm I'm very leery of of Germany. Here, here's the biggest issue. Why? All right. Um, in Revelation chapter uh, three. I believe it's chapter three, Pergamos, the church of Pergamos. Jesus says, I know where you sit, Satan. I know where your throne is. And this is the throne of, of Pergamos, the throne of Zeus. Well, that throne was transported 
brick by brick in 1867 and back to Germany. Now, this is interesting because two things happened in that year, right? First thing was um, uh, Samuel Clemens visited Israel and wrote his, his famous book mm -hmm. that became famous, which is Mark Twain. He became yeah. known for Mark Twain about Israel. Why would this be the promised land? It's such a desolate land. Why would anyone want to be here? It's absolutely empty. 100 years from that day that he wrote that to uh, Israel, uh, Jerusalem is recaptured in Israel. Okay, 100 years. So 1867 is a very prominent year. 50 years later, you had the Belfort Declaration, which called for Israel to be reestablished as a, as a nation for the mm -hmm. Jewish people, right? But the other thing that happened in 1867 was this unknown Zeus temple brought brick by brick back to Germany. On the day of its completion, that it was completed, Adolf Hitler was born. Kind of ironic. Um, and it was a place where you laid the offering. The offering was called holos kostas, right? The Greek word, holos kostas. Mm -hmm. That means Holocaust, right? Yes. And 10% of the 60 million people who died in World War II, 10% is six. That's exactly how many Jews Adolf Hitler killed um, at as an offering to the throne where Satan sits. And it's still in Berlin. You can go there right now. In fact, President Obama spoke in front of it. He was the only president to ever speak in front of it. Um, it's there. So there is a correlation just to the throne of Pergamos where Satan sits in Jesus's prophecy that goes to Germany. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me. You can't ignore it. Um, it is the throne where Satan sits. It's sitting there in Berlin, and it it it's something you need to keep your eye on. Mm, yeah, it's interesting for sure. Um, let's see here. So the last article I had, I think, for the Middle East, as we continue on talking about the Middle East, is um, from I think last week or two weeks ago. This is from Jewish News Syndicate. It's very interesting about Russia and again the relationship with Israel. Uh, Moscow's invitation to Hamas could be meant as warning to Israel, analysts say. And I know we talked about this earlier in the year, on like June uh, or May or so, concerning you know uh, Russia's relationship with uh, Hamas. And I think maybe some like a delegation went to Russia already once earlier in the year. I'm not too sure about that. Maybe it was another terrorist organization. I forgot. But it's just it's just interesting to think about that. How terrorist organizations are going to the leader of you know president of, of Russia for, for talks. That's just, it's just crazy, crazy world we live in. Um, anyways, the article says Hamas uh, chief Ismail Haniyeh arrived in Moscow on September 10th with the head of a senior delegation for the terror group for talks with Russian officials. Analysts speculate that Moscow's invitation to Hamas, like an earlier one in May, okay, so I was right, it did happen in May, uh, is meant, earlier in the year rather, is meant to send a message of dissatisfaction to Israel. The Russians typically use meetings with Hamas to signal displeasure with Israel, perhaps in relation to Ukraine. And we all know about that. Um, Israel has already denied, or not denied, but um, uh, talked against um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which Russia obviously didn't like. And due to that, they started um, backpedaling on some of their um, some of their views and um, responsibilities, not responsibilities, but 
some of the abilities Israel has in terms of Syria. So right now, Russia, in some respects, allows Israel to attack Iran and other terror groups and things like that in Syria so as to protect themselves. Um, so sometimes Russia and Israel work in tandem. Israel would signal Russia and Russia would maybe get out of the way so that people, Russian men stationed there won't get attacked. Um, but now Russia recently said, like, you know, the Golan Heights doesn't belong to Israel. You guys can't do anything there. Um, I believe at one point, too, in Syria, there was actually, I forgot what weapon it was, but it was actually shot towards, like, an Israeli jet for, like, the first time ever. Um, so there's just been a decline in Russian-Israeli um, relationships due to what's been going on, obviously, with Ukraine. Um, Sarkov goes on to say the Russians typically use means, yeah, to signal to Israel. Um, quote, that's some of the context, but I would actually argue that this move is a very deliberate attempt to demonstrate that there is a growing alliance that is taking shape around the world. It appears that Putin is building, now listen to this, it appears that Putin is building an axis of like-minded governments and entities, Schnatzer said. It really does look like he is working to create a new revisionist axis that already includes the Iranians. So already includes the Iranians, this new axis, he says. Includes China, potentially, and includes North Korea. So all the dictator governments. Um, and this shouldn't surprise us, right? Because we always, we bring in, so frequently, is Ezekiel 38, in the last days, Ezekiel prophesies that the na that the, the Jews, God's people who are gathered from the nations, will be brought back to land who, who which was desolate, um, and they'll be brought back to land that's prospering, that's safe, they're living in security. And then Russia, Iran, Turkey, these different nations go against them in the last days for spoil, for financial gain, for economic gain, right? And less gold and cattle and wealth and all these things. We think so also oil. Because Israel sits on amazing plethora of, of oil reserves that uh, possibly those nations may want. Um, so it's not surprising. We've talked about it too, how uh, Russia and Iran and Turkey are growing closer and closer together. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So it's not surprising to see uh, Russia not only weakening relations with Israel, but also seeking out these different nations like Iran. Um, although Hamas isn't a nation, they're a terrorist organization in the Gaza Strip. It's interesting to see them budding up with Israel's enemies. That's that's basically what I'm saying there. Um, so just this more state saying, in my opinion, um, I think this these events, as we're seeing them, lends more credit to what we believe the Bible says is going to happen in the last days, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We're, we're seeing this more and more. We're seeing Christians being persecuted more and more. Um, I, I, I don't know everything about this pastor, but his name is uh, Sundergaard. Um, he was uh, falsely arrested by the U.S. government on weapons charges. It turns out there were no weapons whatsoever. He wasn't involved in smuggling or anything. This was a lie by the United States government. Uh, but he's still under arrest. And what is his crime? He is an evangelist. He is a Christian evangelist. Uh, from Denmark. He actually sought asylum in 2019 in the United States. Um, and he was doing missionary work in, in Mexico. And uh, the, the problem is, is that the United States government has him in prison. And um, there is nothing that uh, is, is going on. The only reason that, that he's still under arrest 
is because someone in the U.S. government hates him because he's a Christian. That's it. No crime. They've already admitted there were no guns. There was no mm. uh, transaction. He hasn't done any violent accidents uh, or any involved. Nothing, no reason to arrest him. They, they haven't done anything, and yet he can't get a trial. This is what Homeland Security is doing now in the United States government. And uh, I don't know much about this guy. I just know that CBN News is reporting it. You can go to CBNNews.com, look him up. Um, but it, it, it's, it's an horrific thing. You know, his name's Evangelist Torben Syndergaard, um, and he's been in jail now for two months with no answers whatsoever mm -hmm. from our government here in the United States. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate to see that. I definitely did not hear about that story, but wow, yeah, that's that's something you'd expect from like you know third world nations, right? That are very like Muslim right. nations, or yeah, not 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 the U.S. So yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, I probably have to check that out too, since it's posted by CBN News. So yeah. All right, what else do you have for us? Yeah, uh, yeah. Here's another article that I actually wanted to try to get to last week because last week we talked about you know the red efforts and. And kind of use that to, to as a springboard to talk about the third temple. So this is an article that actually both Brother Stefan and I saw, but we weren't able to get to last week. This is from Jonathan Bretner, and then um, the uh, Harbinger's Daily they reposted it because it was a, it was a great article. Um, the biblical necessity of a third Jewish temple. Um, so we talked about that. We talk about that often in terms of what Scripture says concerning a coming third temple. So this is Jonathan Bretner and what he says about that. So he said. Um, the third Jewish temple has been in the planning stage for three decades. The temple in student Jerusalem has completed all its furnishings with the exception of the Ark of the Covenant for which they claim to know the location of the original one. The Institute is currently training Levites to serve as priests in the future temple. Uh, Irenaeus, an early church leader, Irenaeus, sorry, an early church leader, bishop in Lyons, France, and prominent theologian wrote against heresies in AD 180 to combat the spread of Gnosticism in the early church. He was born in Smyrna and received the training in the faith by Polycarp. Um, so he basically talks about the temple and how he believes that um, the Antichrist will, you know, sit in this temple during the tribulation. So he says, quote, but when the Antichrist shall have devastated all things this world, he will reign for three years and six months and send the temple in Jerusalem and the Lord will come from heaven in the clouds and the glory of the Father, send this man and those who follow him into the lake of fire, but bringing in for the righteous time is the kingdom. Um, so it's just interesting there that Irenaeus in AD 180 um, notes that, hey, in the future, the Sanskrit figure, who's going to be a real man, um, will sit in the temple. So he believed that there will be a future temple just prophecy states. And where we see this talked about, just a few passages here, Daniel 9.27, we always go there for one. Daniel 9.27 says, and he will make firm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to sacrificing and grain offering, and on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate, even unto complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So that's kind of a mouthful, but um, for those who don't know, just starting Daniel 9.24, just Daniel's given this 70 weeks prophecy for his people and his holy city. So his people, the Jews, his holy city, Jerusalem. So you see that this whole 70 week period, um, prophetically speaking, it's it's 409 days um, is for the Jewish people, right? So that's another argument that Brother Stefan and I use and many other who are in the pre-trip camp to say the church has no business in the tribulation because that final week, that Daniel's 70th week, that last 
portion of a lot of time for Daniel's people in Daniel's holy city is for Daniel and his, his people in his holy city. It's not for uh, Christians because we're not Daniel's people. <laughs> so that is so that's so basically that um, 70th week in the middle of that week of that that's 70 years in the middle of it, three and a half years in, um, there will be reinstated sacrifices by this time and the end Christ will put an end to it. So he makes a covenant for seven for uh, the last week for seven years in the three and a half years he betrays the Jewish people and declared himself as God in the temple um, which is what Irenaeus here believes and wrote about in AD 180 and then just talks about this as well in Matthew 24 um, 15 he says therefore when you see the abomination desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet which we just read about Daniel 9 27 standing in the holy place let the reader understand and then he instructs them to flee the area and those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get things out of that part of the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. Um, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Um, so that's just, you know, prophecy, scripture concerning the third temple. And there's also something else in Revelation 11 concerning um john needing to measure the temple and it's our courts and it being given over to gentiles um until you know the tribulation runs its course um so we just see from scripture clearly that there has to be a third temple right and this this article here the biblical necessity of third jewish temple gets into that and essentially why it's significant is that because it has to stand at least halfway in the tribulation and because we know the rapture comes before the tribulation it's kind of like a time marker, right? As we can see the Jews, religious Jews at least, getting excited and, you know, them doing all these preparations. And we read an article a few weeks back from Israel 365 News about how they, they want to do a new train line from the Ben-Gurion Airport straight to the Temple Mount to facilitate people going to Temple Mount immediately, facilitate people, you know, bringing fruits and animal sacrifice to the Temple Mount. As we see those things, we're like, man, it, it must be getting close, right? In terms of the, the actual building and if that's getting close it's like man we are we're out of here soon this this is truly um lord willing the you know the season of the lord's return we're in so that's just part of the excitement we have as we see these things as we have this biblical lens we understand what scripture says um and then we see these events play out we're like wow you know things are actually happening um and this is just you know it should just spur us into holy living it should encourage us and cause us to be more about the Father's business, share the gospel with others, and just make use of our time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yep. absolutely, man. It, it is. A, it's a. That was a great point that you just made there, and and that is exactly what we need to be doing mm -hmm. with them. Um, uh, great point. Hey, uh, someone asked a question. I just want to say it real quick. Uh, yeah. Uh, who was the name of the evangelist? His name was Torben Syndergaard. That's been imprisoned by um the uh u.s government now for for a few months so uh two months to be exact uh this is a big deal so yeah yes Anything? that's we have a couple minutes left no that's all i had so i mean if you have nothing else we can just uh wrap it up um i'll just say a few verses here and if you have anything else to, to add to it you know you're more than welcome to um, a verse, a few verses I want to get to here is first James five, seven to eight, uh, concerning the coming of the Lord and just patience, right? Because we often, 
I'll reference these verses to encourage you guys, you know, not to be downtrodden. You know, a lot of things going on. We started with, you know, the shootings and earthquakes and things like that. Um, we don't say those things so you guys are sad or depressed. We say those things like, hey, you know, this is what scripture says the last days look like. I, I just remember Jan Markell, she often in her show asked the question, what did you expect the last days to look like, right? <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised when we have all these, you know, warnings of, you know, last days, man, will be like this, love yourself, and, and this is how the church is going to be. Uh, just, you know, just totally, a, you know, uh, going astray from scripture and this and that and, and, and earthquakes and these parallel places and the mark of the beast and this. Um, so when we actually see the stage being set, uh, it shouldn't surprise us. We should be thinking about, well, what did we expect the last days to look like? Of course, that doesn't make it any easier. Um, but scripture, as we dive into scripture, you know, abide in the Lord, scripture helps us, you know, navigate these things. So James 5, 7 to 8 says, uh, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits. And I love the analogy. Of this. this is just one of my favorite passages concerning the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and latter rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. So that just is like, oh, man. I mean, uh, I, I just love that. Um, so the next one, so that's the call to endurance, right? Call to patience, call to encouragement. It's near, it's at the doors, you know, we can, we can grab it. So that's how near it is. And then second Peter three, 10 to 13, uh, brother Stefan alluded to this a little bit in terms of how about prophecy should, should, um, make us live holier lives. We talked about this in length, uh, last week as well. Um, but we just want to encourage this, uh, encourage you in this again, second Peter three, verse 10, 13, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In which the heavens will pass out the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And I love this verse because, you know, uh, Brother Stefan and I, we have a passion about prophecy, but, you know, many Christians even, unfortunately, will say that, you know, we don't have to talk about prophecy. Who cares? You know, that stuff is so far out. How does it impact our lives now? That's what I wanted to know. How, do, how does about prophecy, understanding what God's word says about the future, impact my life in the here and now? Read Second Peter. Second Peter is very clear about how about prophecy impacts us. He talks about a future knowledge that, hey, scripture talks clearly that one day, these heavens and earth that we currently are living in, that we're currently experiencing, that we know exists, will be burned up, will be destroyed by the Lord. And then new heavens and new earth will come, right? Where night righteousness dwells, as he says. But he says, until then, because we have this knowledge, what sort of people ought we to be knowing these things? So he's basically calling us to holier living. He's saying that we should be living in godliness. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So he's basically saying that as we know these future events are going to happen, we that should therefore transform our lives now. So definitely argument against those who believe that Bible prophecy has no place in life of the believer right now, that it has no significance. That could be, you know, that can be further from the truth. Um, James 5, 7, 8 encourages us the same thing. Patience, a long suffering the Lord, uh, because we know and understand the Lord is coming, right? And then for the non-believer, and I'll turn this over to Brother Stefan. Um, we just want to use this to point to Jesus Christ, right? Um, even though we're, we're, we want you to believe in the Lord and don't want you to go into the tribulation, a terrible time, 
about makes it clear that, you know, our life is like a vapor here a day gone tomorrow. So you, there's no guarantee that any of us will see tomorrow, right? It's only by the grace of God if we, if we um, breathe another breath tomorrow. So our exhortation to you is to believe in the Lord. I uh, don't trust in your own works. Uh, Isaiah is very clear that our works don't save us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 uh, makes that clear as well. We have to believe on the work Jesus Christ has done. We have to believe, have put our faith in his death, burial, resurrection for our salvation. There's not multiple ways to be saved. Only Christ uh, can transfer us from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. Uh, so we just encourage you to put your trust in the Lord as well if you have not done so. You know, I'm often convicted in my in my walk with the Lord at, at my behavior. And that is, I ask myself all the time, is there any evidence that the non-Christians in my neighborhood would look at me and go, that's a Christian. That's a real Christian. Mm -hmm. Or would they go, that's a typical Christian right there. Hypocrite. I, I, I'm concerned about that. I, I think about that often. What's the evidence that you leave that people go, man, that person really follows Jesus? Or do they go, eh, that guy's just another one of those Christians? Yeah. It bothers me. It bothers me. Do they hear me yell at my kids in the wrong way as I'm in the backyard? It's something you need to think about, you know, in everything that you do. Um, how do they know you? Do they know you by your Christ that is in you? Think about it this week as you ponder how much you love Jesus. Think about it. Pray for us as we pray for you. Thank you so much for all the great comments. Uh, on ten of uh, verse, uh, Caroline and uh, Tane Honey and uh, Santana and planting the seeds. Um, there were so many of you in here um, that just commented. It was great, Rafshir, uh, uh, Pedrazia. Uh, you guys were awesome, and uh, Sunez eight. And uh, thank you, uh, just to name a few of you. So and there were so many of you in here tonight. Oh yeah. God bless you, and. Um, Take care, and brother, I'll see you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye, everybody.